0: Good morning. There's more than 20. Just having some fun. Hey, we're glad that you are here. We are continuing our sermon series entitled Dangerous Prayers, and I'm sure it's a hit. Everybody's excited about dangerous prayers. I'll tell you, I mean, it's a battle. As we just sang, we know that the battle belongs to the Lord. If we fight in prayer, if we're excited about what God needs to do in the midst of our lives, we're asking for God to work in ways that we can't imagine. When we have that, that fight mentality, that, that desire, that battle kind of mentality, then we must remember that our opportunity right now is for us to pray. So, so we've been working through also, we have this ser- sermon series entitled Dangerous Prayers from the book Craig Rochelle wrote, and I want to share a quick story from his book Uh, Craig was sharing a story about how when he wanted to get a new church started, which if many of you know who he is, he's a pastor of a very large church. It's Life Church, and it has many affiliates as well, many other churches that have been assisted by Craig. And so Craig wanted to start this new church at the age of 27. He was sharing it with his mentor, Gary Walter. And while He was sharing his vision of what the church would be like. Gary stopped in mid-sentence, and he said, I have only, I have one promise for you and one promise only. Then Craig paused for an awkwardly long time, he said, letting his statement kind of sink in. He said that it wasn't rude or abrupt in fact just the opposite. He said, "I'll never forget the loving, fatherly and pastoral pastoral tone of his voice as he gently asked if he could tell me something." As I was reading the book, I can't imagine what Craig was thinking. He didn't write this in the book. But um, I probably would have have thought this way. I would have said, sure, he's probably going to say the Lord will always be with you through the battle, through the struggle. Or he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Really positive promises. Um, Or he will meet your need according to your riches in Christ Jesus. Because I've been a part of starting a church, my wife and I, in New Jersey. Um, And you always have to know that God is going to meet your need because the money is always low. Or everyone's favorite, um, he will not tempt you beyond what you can bear. Or God helps those who help themselves, right? I just want to see if you guys are listening. You guys are listening. Okay, I'm just messing with you. So, see, Gary's statement was this. My only promise for you is this. God will break you. And so Craig just sat there, immediately started thinking to himself and and asking these questions. What do you mean, Gary? God will break me? What kind of promise is that? Why would God want to break me? What kind of mentor tells you that? What kind of God would allow that to happen? So we've entitled this sermon, Break Me. Because this is another dangerous prayer. We don't see that specifically in the scriptures, but we notice there were many in the scriptures who were broken. But we have to ask the question, what does it mean to ask God to break us? And I just want to share a couple of things with you as Christians, we have experienced God allowing to endure certain trials in our lives. The fundamental understanding of God and man must be grasped while walking in an intimate relationship with God. God is perfect without flaw or blemish. God doesn't need his creation. Let's keep that in mind. That's a fundamental truth, but God desires to have a relationship with his creation, and that's the beauty of God. Man is imperfect with many flaws and blemishes. But when a person trusts in Christ, it's not just at the point of justification receiving the promise of eternal life. So once we come to Christ, it's like, okay, I'm good. But it's truly about heart transformation. And in order for that to happen, God has to break our wills. I know that you would think, but really, my will is not a bad will. I mean, I just want to do good here on earth and take care of my family and have a good job and make sure I don't hurt anyone. But deep down inside, as we walk with Christ and we draw closer to him, we don't realize that we're leaning so heavily on our pride, on our arrogance, on our self-sufficiency, on the things that we try so heavily to lean on. We don't want to be a bother to anyone. We want to do everything on our own. See, we may sound like we don't have a strong will, but deep down, God knows that we do. And so he has to break our will sometimes because of the things that we hold on to. So then it, it begs us the next question, does God really want to break us? Well, breaking us doesn't mean that God is out to get us. He's out to shame us. He's out to call us out in front of everyone or demean us or destroy us. What he wants to do is conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, which is a lot of work for all of us. We must understand that this dangerous prayer of God, break me, we have to believe that when God, when we pray that, God's going to reveal sin to us, our sin within us, the shortcomings, the vulnerabilities, the inadequacies, the weaknesses and character issues. So if we say, God, break me, isn't going to come? I mean, it should be expected. We bear the name of Christ. You know, this past week, I just couldn't stand in front of you as, as the pastor without asking God to break me. And so I prayed that dangerous prayer this week. And I got to tell you, Wednesday was a rough day. It was a battle. In fact, I was ready to say, I'm done. I'm thrown in the towel. I've had enough of this. In light of everything we're going through, everything, just not about COVID or anything like that, but just the challenges of our society and then the challenge of seeing who I am and the sin that God had to reveal. I just wanted to say I'm done. It was a battle. Wednesday was a rough, rough day. I asked Pastor Dennis to pray. I asked Jack, one of our elders, to pray. I just started calling. I I texted my mentors. I said, I'm done. This is just ridiculous. I can't fight anymore. But it was through when I sensed that getting through the day and crying out to God. And saying, God, I know this is what the battle's all about. I asked you to break me, and now here's the battle. And I got on my knees, and I'm crying out. I'm pounding the floors. I'm on my knees crying out to God, saying, God, rescue me from myself. And the beauty of God just delivering me in that moment time and saying, I have a purpose for you. Don't give up yet. And my mentor wrote to me saying, don't give up. But I want to be real. I want to be honest. I want to be vulnerable before you. I want you to understand and realize that when we ask God to break us, this is not funny business. This is God conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ because he wants and desires, he has a purpose for us. And sometimes we we have to understand God wants to do that work. See, sometimes we mistaken God's blessings and favor with material goods and possessions. If financial success and possessions are not something we have to worry about. We could equate this to God's blessing. So the less I have to worry about money, the more I think God's blessing me. If we do, we believe becoming rich or wealthy is the goal for living on earth as Christians. When we do when we do most people will find themselves in a broken position. Because when we make this our focus, our pursuit, then we find ourselves in a broken position. How do we see that? Well, We might say, I'm not satisfied with my job. That's career achievement. I'm just not satisfied. Or I'm not satisfied with my marriage. I feel lonely in my marriage. I feel unloved in my marriage. Or I'm not satisfied with my financial status, security for today and tomorrow. Or I'm just, I wish I had money like so-and-so had. And that's envy and that's jealousy. And what happens is then we think the grass is greener on the other side. See, in most cases, money becomes the vital factor toward brokenness. Most people can't handle being rich, especially if one cheats in order to become rich. In an article I read uh, entitled Top Ten Surprising Disadvantages of Being Rich, because I'm not rich in money, but you know what? I thought, let me just see what they're struggling with. And I'll just share a handful of them. One is alcoholism. They're broken. They're looking to alcohol to satisfy them, to actually come get over their struggles and their pain. Anger and depression, stress, loneliness. It doesn't really, they found out it doesn't really make you happy. It makes one less generous, less empathetic, and more of a narcissist. When I shared, what I'm sharing here and what it can lead to is brokenness. That it's a deep emotional hurt and pain. And we always envision that becoming rich is our ultimate goal in life. I mean, come on, we we think about it. We always talk about it. We get excited about it. You know, when you talk about money, everybody gets excited about it. It's one of the top topics that you want to talk about. But does it really make someone happy? You know, I thought about Celebrities in their marriages and with all the money they have the millions and millions of dollars that they have you would think they'd be happy So I looked up some research and uh, I I researched something and I looked something up and it said The divorce rates the average of divorce rates for Hollywood celebrities is 52 percent double what the average rate for the for people in the United States and For the female, it's 62% of that part of that marriage and 50% for the male. And so what, what they also found was that the average marriage for a celebrity is six years. That's why most would celebrate if a couple stayed together seven years or more. I mean, that's pretty sad. But, see, you would think, and, and, and we would all think, because they're loaded with money, they don't have to worry about anything. If they want things, they spend. If they want something with diamonds, they can get that. If they want a nice car, a, a really souped-up car, or the one at the top-of-the-line $100,000, no problem, they got it. I mean, I saw Sylvester Stallone bought, like, I don't know, $150,000 car. Like, no problem, dude's a millionaire and a half. I mean, it's it's the idea that they don't think about it. When you and I, we're going check by check, making sure we don't spend, and we save every bit of money. My son always teases me that I'm a little cheap. Yes, I am cheap. I'm cheap because I only have what I have, and I don't want to spend more than I have, so I try real hard not to do that. But the idea is not that you're cheap. You're you're wise. You want to be a good steward because we don't have it like everyone else. But am I broken? Am I broken because I'm not rich? No, that's... Not really why I'm broken. And see, the world, when they're broken, they don't really have hope without Jesus Christ. But you and I, if we would ask God to break us for his glory, if we would ask God to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, that is the purpose of the believer. So we would want to pray this prayer, this dangerous, crazy prayer, break me. Because in our brokenness, that's when God is changing us. And our brokenness is when we see God at work. So here are a couple of things I want to share with you, if I can. Because in our brokenness, when we're feeling like God is just kind of piecing us apart a little bit, God changes our heart. He changes us and helps us to give up our worldly passions. That's number one. He's here to get to our worldly passions because what we realize is that Jesus is the one who's working on our hearts because so often we get caught up in our worldly passions. We're going to look at the the life of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. If you have the scriptures, you're welcome to open them up or you can just follow along here on the screen. And he's he's in this situation where Zacchaeus is coming now. He's or I'm sorry, Jesus is coming and Zacchaeus is there. He's a chief tax collector. And what we have to understand, too, in this point of the gospel, there are are four gospels, but there are three incidents where they talk about a story prior to this one. It's talking about two blind men, but the two blind men are only mentioned in the book of Matthew. In the book of Mark and Luke, there's only mention of one blind man, and it's Bartimaeus in chapter 18 of Luke. And what it says that, that they were approaching Jericho, now there's this road this road where they would use this main road they would use for trade that would go into Jerusalem so many people and crowds of people would walk and so they would hear about what Jesus was doing and here is Zacchaeus who was a rich man a wealthy man although a cheater and a liar and would take people's money and from their taxes and he would even pocket much of his money from other tax collectors as a chief tax collector and so he would he would really venture himself in being a wealthy man. But he's hearing about the stories that are happening 15 miles prior or just before reaching Jericho would be Bethany. And in Bethany, we heard about the story. They heard about the story about Lazarus who rose from the dead. So he's hearing about this man who's a rabbi who's performing supernatural acts, who claims to be God, who's raising people from the dead, and then he's, he's healing the people who are blind, giving them sight which is a prophecy of Isaiah 61, 1 through 2a. It's the first coming of Christ. So although Zacchaeus is an official and a Jew, but an official from Rome, he's sitting here and he's hearing all about this and wondering what's going on. But now if you and I would understand if a rich person's really happy and they're satisfied, they're not going to look for anything. But we know the story. We find out that Zacchaeus is looking. And how many of us, when we're not satisfied, we begin to look for things? We have worldly passions that we enjoy, things that satisfy us when we're not feeling satisfied, things that hold us over when we're really struggling deep down inside. We may not turn to alcohol. We may not turn to drugs. But we'll turn to some addiction in our lives that will take us and keep us during that moment. And the worldly passions of potentially gaining money, and even having enough money to feel secure. So it's not that you're going to be rich or I'm going to be rich, but at least we find security in having money. But here was Zacchaeus, who had plenty of money, but doesn't seem to be satisfied. In fact, I would venture out to say that I think he was broken. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. So you see that he's obviously, it says he entered Jericho and was passing through. So here's Jesus. And it says, Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and was rich. And how often do we find ourselves clinging to comfort and convenience? You know, when, when Craig was sharing all about that story that he didn't understand why God would break him, when they got together in a life group, some of the people were being honest. And they said, Listen, you know, I, I don't mind following God, but I, I have kids. I have a husband. Um, I don't really want to pray for God to break me because I'm afraid that he may take something away from me. So I'm happy and comfortable and cozy just the way things are. I'll pray my little prayers and I'll read my Bible, but hey, I'm really not feeling comfortable about praying this prayer. And you know, Craig, again, was working with some of the people in his church, and, he, and, and in the book he's sharing how it was tough to challenge his people. But then it came to the point where he's like, what are we going to hold on to? And he had, he made, he, he had to? He asked this question, what are we going to lose by clinging on to our comfort? I mean, What are we going to lose? So if we want to stay comfortable and we really don't want God to break us and we just want to be surface Christians and, we, and we're just kind of hanging around, then what happens is what are we losing by clinging on to our comfort? I love the question that, that Craig brought up because it's true. When I feel like I just want to stay comfortable and cozy. Because let me tell you something, it's a, it's a dangerous prayer and it's scary. When I prayed that this past week, I knew the enemy was going to attack. But I knew it was necessary and, and I will continue to pray to ask God to break me. But when it happens is, I realize there are worldly passions that I have. And I've got to ask God to change me. But I have to ask myself the question, Bruno, what are you losing by clinging on to your comfort? And I don't think I'm losing anything other than my comfort. But my comfort is stopping me from truly coming to understand and know God in a deeper, intimate way to grow in my faith. And so in my brokenness, I have to believe that God wants to change my heart. And so in our brokenness, God changes us and helps us to give up not only our worldly passions, but our worldly pursuits. Now, again, looking at Luke chapter 19, verse 3 through 4, it says, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now, let's just look at a couple things here. It's very important. You first have the word seek. And the word seek means to try to find something, look for something. And it's in, an, it's in a tense in the Greek that helps us to understand a little bit more in the story. Because in the imperfect tense, it means that Zacchaeus was looking for a while now. It wasn't as though he was walk, or Jesus was walking along, and then Zacchaeus just heard all the crowd and said, Oh, let me see what's going on outside, and just said, Oh, that's nice, this so-called Jesus guy, the rabbi. Or let me go and climb up on the sycamore tree and see what he's doing. That's not what the story is really about. See, the seeking was, there was something going on in his heart. In fact, I venture out to say, I believe he was broken, and he was searching, he was seeking. He wasn't satisfied with his money. He wasn't satisfied with his wealth because people didn't really care about him. He just cheated people to get money, and he wasn't satisfied. So the seeking means that he was looking for something more. And in fact, a short stat of a man would jump up on a lower branch of a tree, and he would hang over it just to see Jesus. So in the depths of his being, he was seeking. I remember those days, and I still am trying to seek the Lord with all of my heart. But I recall the day before Christ and my justification, when I didn't know, before justification in Christ, I didn't know what I was doing. I was a car salesman, and I was seeking and chasing for something. I was empty. I had plenty of money in my pocket, lots of dollar bills in there. I'd go and buy suits with cash, and I had a credit card, but I didn't need the credit card. I had so much money. I lived at home, no rent, food was covered, everything was good. I didn't even have a need of a vehicle because the dealership covered my vehicle. So I had no bills. I had plenty of money, but I was still seeking. I was still empty. There was a void in my heart I was looking for things. I recall one time when I had this little Catholic Bible. It was a New Testament Bible, really small. And I had it with me, and I was seeking and asking God for help. And as a good Catholic person, which I wasn't, I was just trying to ask God for help. And I'm looking, and my boss saw me. He goes, Dude, dude, what are you doing? I said, I don't know, man. I'm so depressed and down and out. I don't know. Maybe I need to look in the Bible. He goes, put it away, man. You're a car salesman, dude. You don't need to be reading that. And so I had to put it away. And he goes, by the way, that's the same suit you wore yesterday. Go home and clean up, man. You were out all night, weren't you? I was like, yeah. And so I I had to run back home, and I had to clean myself up because I was a mess. I didn't know what to do. I was seeking for something. I was crying out in the depths of my being. I was broken. But no one would have known it. Because I had my suits, double-breasted suits. I was thin. I was looking good. I was 19 years old. I was selling cars. But on the inside, I was a mess. I was hurting. I was broken. I was seeking. That's what Zacchaeus was doing. He was broken. He was seeking. He was pursuing Jesus. He was no longer trying to pursue his riches and his wealth. He realized that was not satisfying him anymore. So what are you pursuing? As a Christian, is it more for the godly gain or for the god or for the worldly gain? Because if it's for the worldly, God is not going to withhold to keep a blessing from you, but to protect you. Even if you and I are seeking for worldly gain and pursuing things of the world, he's still going to knock on our doors. And if you're godly and you're seeking God with all your heart and you're praying this prayer, break me, Lord. Then you and I should expect trials. We should expect God to break down the walls of our hearts and to move on our hearts. See, we're gonna go through trials. We're gonna go through difficulties because he's changing us, he's breaking our wills, he's conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. And see, I love what Paul, what excuse me, what Craig said when he says, if we pray only for protection from trials, then we rob ourselves from our future maturity. See, God doesn't just want us to go through trials and, and just kind of just be protected from the pain, God wants us to go through the pain because it's through the pain and the toil and the anguish that we truly come to understand and know God. Remember when Craig was told of that promise? He has only one promise for you, God will break you. He could have avoided God, and most of us do. We avoid God, we avoid the pain because we don't want to hurt. But God's saying, I want to take you through that trial because i got to conform you. i got to change your character to be more like Christ. And see, sometimes when the pain is hurting, we just want a quick fix. But it's not about being quickly fixed. Sometimes it's a journey. Sometimes it's a marathon. In fact, I'd like you to say that when we're broken, our pursuits become sprints rather than marathons. We can't go about just quickly getting fixed. God wants to break down our hearts He wants us to go through the marathon, through the journey. So when we're struggling, when we're down and out, when we're hurting, when we don't, we just want to give up. God's saying, wait a minute, this is a journey, son, glorification. Remember when you get in my presence? I'm like, yeah, but Lord, I'm in sanctification. I'm tired. He's like, that's okay. That's when I can take over. Let me take over. And I have to admit, I have to be vulnerable and saying, okay, Lord, that's what it's going to take. Number three, in brokenness, God changes us and helps us. Gives us and get to give up our worldly perspective, our worldly perspective. So it's our passions, our pursuits and our perspective. And in Luke chapter 19, five through six, it says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay for your at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Now, we got to stop for a second. Because for a rabbi to ask or to tell, actually, to command a person like Zacchaeus to come to his house, that means that in the Jewish culture, he's accepting of a tax collector. You gotta understand this. In this crowd, he's saying it's okay to talk to a tax collector, but he was a sinner. And most Pharisees would say in Judaism, don't talk to sinners, don't talk to people who are obviously sinners. So don't even engage with them. And here he was reaching out. And he looked. And the word looked means in the Greek that he fixed his eyes and his vision on something. So in all of this crowd, here's Jesus walking through many people down a very busy road. And he sees this short, statured person. But you and I know when God calls us that he knows us by name. And he knew Zacchaeus. And he knew who he was. And he called him out. And he commanded him, saying, I must come to your house today. He said, hurry up. Now, here's another thing to think about. Here's a man who supposedly is an official of Rome and of some dignity, although not much, as a chief tax collector. But he was an official with dignity and respect and reputation who is a teacher, a rabbi, calling out Zacchaeus. As though he has the authority to do so. But as the son of God, the one who comes to seek and save those who are lost, he has every right that. And see, so here he was calling out Zacchaeus to come. And Zacchaeus, now when most people in that position were saying, wait a minute, me, Jesus? No, 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 no. You're not going to call me out. You're not going to destroy me. You're not going to make fun of me. You're not going to demean me. No. The Bible says that he received him joyfully. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that God was obviously working on his heart. He was not satisfied and he was broken. And he received him with joy. I remember that day when I was broken and I was seeking and I was chasing for months upon months upon months. And then when Jesus came, oh, when Jesus came, then my brokenness turned into blessing. Because I finally found the one who was filling my void. The one who I I was just dying for someone to satisfy me in eternity to know that I would have eternal life that my sin would be forgiven, Jesus came. And when Jesus came, I remember that day of joy. And when he received him with joy, that's what the book of Luke, that's what Luke was talking about. Throughout the book, many episodes of the word joy, which is a response to Christ being welcomed into someone's life. Even in the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, verse 32, the father even said it himself. He said, he goes, he just said going on, he says, it is fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, but he's now found. See, Jesus was calling Zacchaeus and he said, you you must, meaning the word, the Greek word day is a divine day. So God is calling through Jesus, on Zacchaeus to come. He had a purpose for his life. And even in his brokenness, God was saving him. And it was joyful. You know, when Jesus, when we see about the Lord's Supper and recognizing how important it is, and it says, and he, looked, he took the bread, and he gave, it to his, he, gave, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, the disciples, saying, this is my body, which has been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, the, the, the two words, do this, is the, it's the only time mentioned in Luke. The other, the other accounts of Matthew and Mark and even John, there was nothing mentioned. But here in Luke, Luke was trying to make that emphasis very clear. He wasn't saying just do this ritual and remember me. He's saying to him, your life needs to reflect the body and the blood, the Lord's Supper, the Gospel. He's saying, do this, meaning let your life so shine. Let, live like I've called you to live for. And that's what it was. He was broken and poured out for you and I. And there's joy. When we come to Christ, there's joy knowing that he's forgiven us of our sin, that he's given us hope, the eternal life that we have, and that in our sanctification, when he wants to break us, when he wants to make us more like Jesus every day, although it's painful, so was Jesus when he was broken too. Broken and mangled for you and I in pain. For the sake of sin. For the sake for you and I. That's the beauty of the gospel. And he's calling us to do the same. I love what Craig said here. He said this. He says, who wants to be broken and poured out? That sounds painful at best. Miserable at worst. But it's in the giving of our lives that we find true joy. That's when we find joy. Knowing Christ is there. Number four. In brokenness, God changes and helps us give our worldly possessions. Yes, it's coming, the possessions. Because here's the evidence of where God was doing the work. In verse 7, it says, And when they saw it, they grumbled. They all grumbled. Who are these? These were the Pharisees. They grumbled because they didn't like the fact that Jesus would receive a tax collector. In fact, he was a horrible sinner. He was known to be a horrible sinner. And so they didn't like it. But isn't it beautiful, the picture here, that after Jesus welcomes him, And he goes to his house that they stopped grumbling about the tax collector. They started grumbling about Jesus. See, Jesus took it upon himself, all that grumbling and complaining against the sinner, and he took it upon himself. That's what the imagery, the symbolicness of this is the gospel. Jesus bore our sin for you and I. He he was broken for you and I. And he was even willing to do that for Zacchaeus at that time. And so he, he, he plays that out. How often... Do we in our own lives, when we look at certain things, when we see certain people, I know that if I see certain people who are sinning, sinning more than I could ever sin, I'm like, you know, Lord, how frustrating it is when we see God really want to take a practicing habitual sinner and change their lives. I don't know about you, but, you know, sometimes in the depths of my being, just in the real deep depths of my being, sometimes I'll just say... I can't believe God would be interested in having mercy and grace on that person. I mean, that guy, he's really a horrible sinner, man. He's just a terrible sinner. I mean, he has sinned upon sin. I mean, me, you know, I've got some sin, but not as bad as him. And and I'm like, Lord, really you want to reach this person? And God's like, well, yeah, he's a sinner just like you, right? I'm like, yeah, but Lord, I mean, I've sinned, but not like that, Lord. He's like, yeah, but I've sent my son to seek and save those who are lost, right? I mean, Jesus is seeking out, and so he's seeking, and I sought you, and now I want to seek them. But deep down in our midst, doesn't it sometimes happen that we just don't want God to really reach that person over there and have them equal with us because they've sinned so much? I mean, sometimes in the depths of our being, we can go there. That's how these Pharisees were thinking. That's how these Jews were thinking. They had a worldly perspective. They didn't really have a godly perspective. And Jesus was trying to show them that I've come to save those who are lost. I'm seeking after them. And here's the evidence. We see it very clear in this passage. It's very evident that now Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord... I know they're grumbling, complaining about me. I know they don't like me. But, Lord, half of my goods I will give to the poor. He was only called to give a fifth of it, but he gave half of it. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore them fourfold. He didn't even have to, do, to restore anyone fourfold for defrauding, if at best. But when fourfold was where someone would steal an animal and kill it. Twofold if you stole the animal and it still stayed alive. So here he was, the whole point of it is that he was willing to give whatever possible back because he wasn't holding on to his possessions anymore. The worldly possessions weren't important. He wasn't giving away his income, but just his possessions. How many of us are willing to give away our possessions? How many of us are willing to say, all for the sake of the gospel? He's a son of Abraham, he goes on to say. He goes, now he is a son of Abraham. Today, salvation has come to this house since he's also a son of Abraham, a spiritual Jew now. Not just a physical descent in Jew, but a spiritual Jew. He goes, for the Son of Man has came to seek and to save the lost. See, I really believe God is truly needing to break us. In fact, I would venture out to say that we really can't be truly used of God until God breaks us. God has broken me a handful of times in my life. One, and back in 2015, it was really bad. And it was so bad that words were coming out of my mouth that I haven't heard for years. I was so angry with God. God had to break me. I fell to the ground asking God to have mercy on me because he had to break my spirit. I was angry, frustrated, didn't like where he was taking me. I was complaining, whining, doing everything wrong. God, still in his mercy and his grace, helped me up. I had to work through a very challenging time, but it was through the breaking that made me want to worship him even more because even at my lowest point, that's when God is at his best. And I was at my lowest point, one of my lowest points, and God was at his best, still receiving me and loving me, assuring me of his love. I've seen that throughout the years. And I wanna tell you, God has to bring us to a place of brokenness. Craig went through that as well. When I mentioned that he started the church, he even added an additional prayer in his book, a very godly prayer. God, if it takes, whatever it takes, break me, God. I rem- you reminded me of my met- from my mentor, and I want you to break me. It was a beautiful prayer. And so it began. The ministry started going down. An article was written against him. People were questioning him. And then he had a confidant, a guy who he trusted. He left his church plant to come with him. But as he was working with his buddy and his friend, he found out he had skeletons in his closet and struggled and lied to Craig. Craig was furious. They both had um, to get together. They didn't have an altercation physically, but they were yelling and screaming at one another. And then after they did that, he said they left. He never talked to him for a couple of weeks. And then he gets a phone call. Found out that his friend committed suicide. He was broken. He said, Gary... Am I broken now? Gary goes. I think you are. He had to take on. He took his family in. The gentleman who gave up his life. He took his family in, and he brought him to his house. And for weeks, he just couldn't get in front of his small church. He was struggling. He even one Sunday prepared for a sermon, and it just this wasn't coming. He stood before his people and said, "I'm broken." He goes, "I am living in guilt." I can't handle this anymore. I'm broken. I can't preach right now. I don't know what to do. I've asked God to help me. As he stood there, everybody in the church got up. A small crowd came up and laid hands on him, and they all wept together. He said through that situation, he said that's when their church became a grace-filled community because everyone let their guard down and loved on their pastor. It was a beautiful moment, he said, although a very tragic moment, but a beautiful moment. He said it was through the weakness. In fact, it's beautiful when Craig just said this, and it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly unless he can hurt him deeply. God has broken Craig Crochelle often, but he's been a man of God who's been able to lead many to salvation in Christ. In fact, he said, it's easy to impress people with our strengths. But real connections are forged through our shared weaknesses. That's what it's going to take for each one of us. We've got to let the guard down. We've got to be willing to say, God, please help me. So today, I want to offer you an opportunity. I know we're broken, each one of us. We're hurting. We don't even know how to navigate what's ahead of us. We're so broken, we don't know how to answer to God. And we can keep putting up this facade, or we can even offer you an opportunity today to come up here as an altar. We want to leave this as an altar today. And as we do so, we're going to give you that opportunity. We invite you to come up. And so I'm going to pray for you right now, and as I pray for you, I want to encourage you to just prepare your heart. And as the band is singing a song, they're going to go slow, I invite you to come up. God wants to do an awesome work in all of our hearts. Wouldn't it be awesome today if you could do business, whatever it is that you're struggling with? Who cares what other people are seeing? Who cares? There's no shame or guilt or reputation here. Come on up. Facebook, if you're out there, get on your knees. We've got to be a praying church, crying out to God collectively, not just individually. So I want to invite you to come, and I want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray that you would prepare the hearts of your people, whether they be at Facebook or right here. I pray, God, that whatever, if it's pride, whatever stops them, they're shy, they don't want to come up because they're afraid people are going to see them, it's reputation. Lord, I pray that they would come up today and and ask you to do a work in their hearts. In fact, if someone does see them, they could write them on their prayer list and not say anything and just pray for that person. I'll be one of those people that gets on my knees because I need prayer. Father, I just pray that you prepare your people's hearts today to come up in front of this altar and to ask that you would continue to do a work in us, challenge us, Father. Lord, we love you. We sincerely pray that your spirit would move in a mighty, mighty way in our midst. God, we welcome you to do a work in your people's hearts this morning. For We ask it in Jesus' precious name.